Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Ole Speaks Podcast on the Fan First Sports Network. I am your host, Danny, coming to you for episode 144. And if you want to listen to this episode as well as previous ones, feel free to like and subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform, whether that is Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Google Podcasts. If you do listen on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, feel free to give us a nice rating and or a review. So... I did it much more smooth this time, Chucks, as I stumble over myself, which is quite ironic. So, we're a little shorthanded again this week, but let me bring in Chucks, first of, first and foremost. Hello, Chucks. I'm still not used to saying that first. Hey, good evening. Yeah, again, I appreciate the duties of being a host. It's not easy. It's more difficult than it looks. That's right. We've got Sergio Romero. Hello, Sergio. Hey, folks. Happy to be here as always. Now... Recording from from my trusty apartment instead of uh you know undisclosed locations all over the city, uh, so pretty happy about that, and I'm pretty happy to be here as always. Yes, we are very much not looking at the screen of iPhone de Sergio, so it's <laughs> it's much uh, much better situation for you and sounding a little bit better as compared to the iPhone. So we appreciate it, buddy. Yeah, yeah. So we always said we we do it all for the fans. <laughs> That's yes. right. The fans first. That's right. Ah, there you go. Uh, yeah, gotta work on the new network there. Uh, since Sergio, you are sounding so much better today compared to when you're on your phone. What is your takeaway from the week that was? My biggest takeaway is that Juventus is currently choosing a poor time to have a bad spell of play. Probably the worst uh, uh, time to have a poor spell of play, considering how. Absolutely jam-packed April is. You know, they've obviously, they were playing really good. And, and it seems like it's been an unfortunate trend for this team, at least for a couple of years now, that when they start to get it together, they start to kind of get into a rhythm. There's a break. There's like something happens that kind of snaps them out of that, that flow or that that game rhythm. And then they take a while to get back to it. And, and it happened again with the international break. They come back. They kind of sleepwalk through that uh, that win against Verona. And now, you know, we have the results of this week, which was a sort of fair, but, you know, and, and I know we'll talk about it a little bit more in detail in, in a few, but, you know, it just, it looks again, like just a team that's not quite clicking. And we've seen that through a lot of stretches during the season. 
but every time they seem to finally get it together and finally start you know you know mounting some sort of string of good results you know a break something happens and then it seems like we're back to square one so uh hopefully the, the good thing the good news is that they have a lot of chances to get it together uh very quickly one after the other uh the bad news is that if they don't we we could be looking at you know when this month is over uh juventus being pretty much you know their season being pretty much done if if everything goes badly so that's 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 going to be a challenge yeah, and we will definitely get into that more in a minute here. But Chucks, your takeaway from the week that was. Yeah, my takeaway is uh, on a similar kind of negative note as Sergio, uh, which is that uh, I hope that Allegri slash Juventus have a plan B on on the pitch. Like, I mean, our plan A, we all know what it is. Um, it's, huh. you know, <laughs> you sit back, you know, deep block, soak up the pressure and hit him on a counter and yeah just hope to be extremely efficient which i mean admittedly we have been very efficient you know i talked about this last week how um you know despite the few chances that we generate every you know every match we still are i think now third top scorer of the league let me double check what the updated uh oh no sorry i made that mistake last week too uh fifth top scorer but only two goals off Milan, who are the second top scorer, uh, joint second top scorer with Inter. So it's 48, 48, 47, and then Juventus 46 goals scored. So, you know, despite the few, very few chances we create, we score, you know, we're extremely efficient. So, but anyway, you know, going back to my original point, yeah, that's our plan A. That's, you know, just the counterattack, just efficiency. But what's our plan B? And that's just really, really stuck in my mind just this week in the two games. Uh, against uh, Inter and against Lazio, which is, you know, okay, we know our plan A, but it's like well, when when we face better teams or when we just face a team where it just doesn't really work, I mean, what what do we do? Just kind of keep jamming on the, on the plan A? Or, I mean, do we have some kind of other idea uh, in case, you know, in case it's just not working? Uh, just within a game, not necessarily across games, but just within one game. You know, and I mean, we'll talk about this a lot more, obviously, later. But against Lazio, there was a bit of urgency in the last, like, I'll say 20-ish minutes or so. It was more like, and, and I remember the commentator mentioned this too. It's like, he mentioned a few players, like, I think, Locatelli, Di Maia, Chiesa, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and just saying, like, you know, these are really technical players. Fagioli, too, of course. These are really technical players that have the ability to play some just beautiful attacking football if you permit them to do that. And that, and that kind of made me think, okay, you know, there is the potential for a plan B there. If, but I mean, I don't know. I just never really see it. I, I don't really know. I, mean, I don't know. Are we able to do something else when, when our original plan of just sitting back and soaking up pressure and just, you know, hoping for the one or two chances when that doesn't work, like what do we do? And thus far, I just haven't really, seen much of an answer to that you know well, what do we do yeah and uh like like sergio's point we'll we'll definitely get that into him and i will since there is no sam this week i will throw in a takeaway and it's basically the fact that we have reached a point in italian football where it's pretty much something that makes you a little surprised if there is not one racist incident per match day at this rate uh, and it's not just a Juventus thing anymore. It's, or ever, it's very much a league-wide problem, a country-wide problem, hell, a continent-wide problem, or a worldwide problem. But especially so when Juventus are penalized for racist abuse towards Romelu Lukaku. And then what? One, two, three, four days later, Juan Cuadrado is racially abused at the Olympico by Lazio fans, who very much have a history of racially abusing opposing players. And as of right now, as of this recording, nothing has been done. There was a video going around from two months ago of Moise Keane being racially abused pregame by Spezia fans that the Serie A official account left up for two months before deleting it a couple of days ago. And if you are one who is sick of Juventus-related conspiracy theories when it comes to anything, whether it is racist punishments or points penalties or whatever, the league is going to have to act at least on level terms from everybody and not just punish Juventus because uh, not only am I growing tired of these players being racially abused for absolutely no reason whatsoever, 
it puts even more of a bad light on them from our point of view when Juventus is the only one being punished and clubs like Lazio, like Roma, like Spezia, like Bologna, and on and on and on and on and on don't get punished for it. So uh, here's to hoping that Serie A and the old white men in that office uh, can can come up with something positive rather than just another ad and PR campaign that says end racism, and there we go. Yeah, yeah, and, and just to definitely, I mean, obviously 100% echo that. You know, we obviously talked about this uh, pre-recording just about yeah, I mean, how we talk about this, given that we've talked about it at nauseum on the podcast, uh, written about it. I mean, I've written about it. I'm you know, sure we all have written about it, too. It just it's unfortunate that it just yeah, that we just keep repeating ourselves. And it's, you know, I, like I said to you guys, I mean, I don't really have anything new to say about it because it's just, you know, it's happened so many times now. And, that that's, and like, that's the unfortunate thing is that we're at the point now where there is nothing new to say right. outside of the fact that. This just keeps happening. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I guess the only comment or slightly insightful comment, I guess I have about it is that, man, again, we were talking about this pre-recording, you know, I've always argued that like, look, football is a reflection of society. So, you know, the problems of society manifest themselves in football. So, you know, I don't think they're necessarily footballing problems you have. They're societal problems that then, you know, happen in, in the sport. And then, yeah, like I said, we were talking about, which is that, you know, Italy, I mean, you look at the government currently in charge, um, it's a, you know, more right-leaning government. It's not too enthusiastic about, well, okay, I should tread carefully here, but anyway, it's it's a more right-leaning government. And yeah, I mean, that that reflects just people's sentiments as well. I was in Italy for my honeymoon a few months ago. Uh, we were in uh, gosh, we're Sardinia, so we're in like Cagliari area and stuff like that. And yeah, I mean, you know, people weren't outright abusive towards me, but you saw the awkward stare. Yeah, you saw the awkward stare <laughs> towards me, which, uh, look, I mean, I'm chill. I, it, I went about my day. We went about our day, my wife and I. But I mean, it bothered her greatly. Um, I was just like, I mean, what are you going to do? But I mean, it, it's just... In general, I think I, from my experiences being in Italy, just myself, I see it's, uh, it's definitely a societal problem. I mean, they're a little, uh, again, I have to tread carefully here, but they're a little less tolerant, uh, racially tolerant, I think. And again, that just manifests itself, itself on the pitch. So yeah, I mean, it's, it's bloody shame really. But again, I personally have sort of seen like, oh, okay, that's how it, like, that's why people, you know, or like that's how it happens on the pitch. Would you like to add anything, Sergio, or shall we continue into on-field stuff? You know, like, like you guys said, I have you know nothing else to add on that. You know, I agree with everything you guys said, obviously. And the, the important thing for me, and, and you know, every time that something like this happens, it it brings me back to something that you know people who are familiar with with uh, Mexican fans or the Mexican national team are probably sort of aware that you know the the national team had a, a uh, you know, a problem, an issue with the fans screaming uh, or yelling a uh, homophobic chants uh, when the, uh, you know, other keeper, you know, every time the other keeper kicked the ball away. It was, a, you know, a tradition, a dumb tradition started a long time ago, like, oh, like I'm talking 60, 70, 80 years, something in the Mexican league, the domestic league, and just kind of grew from there. And people just said it in the stadiums and in the Mexican national teams. And it just, it was a thing that happened. Most people didn't even see anything wrong with it. But, you know, people advanced, society advanced, and suddenly, you know, I think most, at least most people started to realize, listen, this is probably, you know, not great to do, like not a good thing to do. It's a thing that, you know, it's been going on for a long time, but, you know, you shouldn't say it. And then the Mexican Federation, the Mexican Football Federation started doing all these PSAs and and a bunch of stuff trying to make fans stop saying it, which absolutely did not work. Everyone kept doing it. It was like a fun thing. It was like even, you know, for whatever reason, Mexican people thought it was even funnier than they that they wanted to ban it. So they kept doing it and doing it and doing it. And suddenly they stopped. And the only reason they stopped is because FIFA got involved with it. And essentially, it started levying fines against the Mexican national team, which people did not care about. They continued doing it. But it was after they actually threatened, you know, the 
you know, that Mexico would lose points in the, in the World Cup qualifying or would get like banned outright from the World Cup. And that's when it was like, oh, okay, like we have to stop because now the consequences are, are too much. And what I'm trying to say here is that we understand, you know, sometimes that something is, is wrong, but as long as there's a, you know, a segment of people that want to keep, you know, doing this, these things, it really, you know, the federations have to get involved. The, the organizations have to get involved. City A has to get much more involved and, and actually try to put a stop into this other than just, you know, releasing, you know, sort of milquetoast statements saying, oh, this is wrong. Or, you know, banning a, a, a portion of, of the of the fans in that stadium. Like, those are good measures. But until you actually get real with it and actually start doling out real punishments and, and real things that, because like you guys said, like it's not just happening at Juventus Stadium, like it happens in every single stadium in Italy. You know, until those, until the Federation and the league and then FIFA at some point start to actually get serious about regulating this and trying to stop it and actually start to levy real severe punishments. And if that happens for, for Juve as well, because, you know, like, like we said, like there's, there's racist fans for every single team. That's just a fact then it has to happen that way. Like, you just have to start actually caring and actually making those punishments so that, you know, fans, you know, stop doing it. Because I, I got to tell you, like, from experience, a lot of people in Mexico did not like that the chant was banned. They, for whatever reason, held on to it because it was funny or whatever. Like, they did not want to stop doing it. And then they had to. They had to because they're, it sounds weird to say, but their love of football trumped their love of screaming homophobic things like that just it, it was a thing and until those consequences start happening for Serie A and for Italy they're just you know obviously understanding that culturally they're a different country but it, it feels like they have to start taking real accountability not just on a club basis but on a federation on on, on, a, on a country basis to actually stop this because otherwise it's just going to you know, it's just going to keep happening. It's just going to be a recurring issue. We had a big kerfuffle, you know, Juve Inter, and then in the immediately next game, you know, you you, got, you had the same thing, and and you know, at the Olimpico in Rome. So it it has to be something that's you know, it comes from the top, not just club by club basis. It comes from the top, and that they actually want to stop it. Until that happens, it, it's just going to keep keep happening, keep going on, and I, I don't really see a, a you know a reason why why they should stop. Like if there's no punishment. Like they can just do whatever. I'll just put a bow on it with this. Uh, on Saturday during the Lazio game, we heard over the loudspeaker that the crowd was warned about racial abuse. If it was heard anymore, it would stop the game. And what was the reaction from the Lazio fans? They booed and whistled it. And like Chuck said, that's not just a fan club problem that's a societal thing so uh on that on that note we will very much uh transition hard away from <laughs> away from uh unfortunately you know more racial abuse talk in italy to uh to juventus's copa italia draw against inter and boy oh boy was it was it a uh an interesting one you know juventus obviously seconds away from getting a valuable one nothing win in the first leg of the Copa semis against Inter, only for Remmer to pull a sorry Chuck's pull a Matthias Delict, <laughs> ball the ball in the box, Romelu Lukaku the aforementioned Romelu Lukaku uh, buries the penalty, uh, responds to the racial abuse with uh, shushing of the crowd as I feel like all of us all three of us can uh, basically uh, agree that that is the right kind of response to it. And uh, and then all hell broke loose. And uh, I don't know. I mean, much like Sergio was saying in his takeaway, Juventus overall on the whole has picked a bad time to suddenly start playing uh, not great again. And uh, yeah, I, I don't know. Unfortunately, it set a precedent for what we saw over the weekend at the Olympico. But uh, in terms of Tuesday night's game, what uh, what are your guys' thoughts? And uh, yeah, although we've got a few weeks to uh, to go before the second leg, I have a feeling that the uh, the first leg didn't exactly inspire a whole lot of a whole lot of good thoughts as compared to the last time Juventus played in or a few weeks back. Yeah, that it wasn't the the most you know the greatest result. It wasn't the greatest performance. You know, I think it it got marred by the fact that you know they were so close to getting the win, and then 
uh, silly, completely clumsy handball by by Bremer just gives away that last PK because you know despite you know that fact and that it felt like we were so close to to getting the win and getting the gaining the advantage, it did feel fair. Like I did think it was a pretty evenly evenly played match. Both teams had their moments. Uh, you know, both teams had chances. I think it, it was in general an, an even match, and I think it's something that you sort of expect. You know, considering that it is the semifinals of the Coppa Italia, that Inter, despite trying everything in their power to self-implode, you know, that they still have good players. That they're not in a position all that different from the one that that Juventus is in. Like they have talents, they can play really well in, in on occasion, but they're not consistent. Like they're they have up and ups and downs. To me, that they feel like a very similar sort of team that that Juventus has. And when you look at you know at everything on an aggregate, I don't think that you know Juventus is that different from an Inter, from a Milan, from a from a Lazio, from that muddled middle that Juventus would be in if the fifteen point deduction had never happened. Like I, I do think they're similar teams, and the fact that they're talented, everyone knows they're talented, but they can't they, they can't be consistent. Like they can't win every single game despite their their talent so because despite the talent they have flaws both teams are i think have you know good things and flaws like they're not perfect teams and that that's a game that to me showed exactly that like it was both two flawed teams that have flashes that can play a good game on occasion and just kind of you know crashing into each other into a greedy grimy kind of you know grind fest of a game that you know despite all the controversy and despite the fact that they you know they tied in the dying minutes when it looked like Juventus had had, had the win all, all but sewn up it did feel like a like a fair result overall for for you know the entirety of the 90 minutes that's how you paint a picture yeah yeah it wasn't the it wasn't the best use of your time on a tuesday that's for sure <laughs> Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. Yeah, it was indeed. I, I echo what Sergio said. Just in terms of the game itself, not necessarily either team's performance, but just the game in general, uh, it was indeed a very pretty boring game. And, and just, I mean, just a poor game. Again, as I kind of talked about in my takeaway, I mean, we played exactly as he expected us to play. You know, sit back, low block, uh, hope for a counter, hope for, you know, an opportunity, just a, one or two opportunities to score a goal. Uh, the problem is, and this is a sharp contrast to the Lazio game, which we'll obviously talk about later, but in contrast to the Lazio game, you know, Inter weren't very good either, you know, whereas against Lazio, you had a team that was like in fantastic form and genuinely a very good team. I mean, I'm amazed it's, you know, it's been so long since Lazio were actually a good team, um, but, you know, a genuinely good, good team. And that was just a contrast there. I mean, Lazio scored two goals, probably deserved to have another. Whereas Inter just, I mean, just about kind of slogged themselves to an equalizer, which granted on on the balance of the game probably was fair. 1-1, I think just about. I don't think we maybe marginally deserved the victory, but I don't think 1-1 is like, oh, I don't think it was a completely undeserved result. I mean, obviously how it happened was, you know, very frustrating, but... The overall result, I didn't, you know, come away thinking like, oh, we, you know, convincingly deserve to win that game. I, you know, I didn't really feel that at all from that game. But uh, yeah, again, I mean, it's just, it's interesting to see how games, um, how Juventus games turn out once, like, again, we play this exact same style of play basically all the time. But then when it's against an opponent, that's about as, well, 
depending on if you're a glass half full or glass half empty person, as good or as bad as we are. It's interesting to see that contrast between you know playing a, playing a team like Inter, who are just again really just in terrible form, uh, pretty short of confidence, and also just not very good, versus a, a team like Lazio, who are yeah just in great form. A game against the team like Inter is just going to be boring as all hell, and just a, just a poor game in general. And a game against Lazio is going to be, I mean, honestly, uh, again, just the game itself was a very a pretty high quality game as from from a neutral's perspective obviously we didn't play well but just a better quality game so yeah i mean again it was just a you know kind of a sad game i thought the uva inter game just knowing where inter were like just i mean a year or two ago to you know well how quickly things change and then you know uva again it's like i mean i almost yeah we played badly but it's it's like i almost can't really I don't know, criticize it because it's so exactly as uh, how you expect us to play. Like it's so, it's almost like the consistency of it all. I kind of appreciate it. It's like what we were just talking about. Unfortunately, it's kind of become the norm. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, you know, again, in, in some strange way, I kind of appreciate that it's exactly as you expect it to be to say every game like you know just in terms of the general style you're saying that because you only have to write about juventus once a month (laughs) yeah yeah yeah, that's true (laughs) for me it's like well what the hell are we supposed to yeah (laughs) yeah no but i i honestly i feel like the overarching theme from this week is basically stealing from sam's match recap headline after the lazio losses that this was these two games for different reasons but there are missed opportunities i mean like you were just saying, Chucks, Inter comes in in terrible form, at least domestically. In your, you know, in Champions League, they're you know they're a quarter finalist. They're doing well there, and you know a lot of the talk from some of the other podcasts or writing, you know, podcasts I listen to or writings that I read about Inter, it's like, okay, you know, they're very much a cup team this year, and I think we've said that about Juventus the last couple of years too you know i remember you chuck saying you know, under pirlo it's kind of like juventus are made for more of the the two-legged ties than the 38 round fixtures so you know obviously inter came in on terrible form but cup wise you you didn't really know what to expect if, if they'd get even better obviously they didn't play all that well and then you know on saturday against lazio it's like okay well every almost everybody in front of you has lost or dropped points Here's an opportunity, even with the 15-point penalty, to get closer and basically on the brink of cracking into the top six, and you just you do what you did. So, you know, to keep it focused on the Copa Italia for now, I mean, now it's unlike the last few knockout ties that Juventus has had over two legs where they don't have the lead anymore. And, you know, away goals isn't a thing, so at least there's not that to worry about in terms of inter, Inter's goal, but I don't know. I mean, I, I really... I mean, like Juventus a lot these days, I don't know what to expect in a few weeks' time, whether it's Juventus or Inter. Yeah, and, and just to, to add to that, and that kind of goes back to my takeaway from, you know, just specifically focusing on the Coppa Italia game. You know, that, that's the frustrating thing about not having a plan B um, of like a different style of play. Because, you know, again, you, you're coming as an Inter team that's really kind of out of sorts. And, you know, again, just in... What they haven't won a game in six, I think. I mean, hell, uh, the Italian press was reverting to the line of whenever any big club manager is on the hot seat, you know. So, and you know, insert name here has three games left to prove himself. And that's <laughs> what we were hearing about Simone and Zaghi coming into the inner game is that yeah. he basically had like two weeks to save his job. So, yeah, uh, who knows how much this that performance would help? But I mean, at least he didn't lose, I guess, for his sake. Yeah, and in, and in that sense, it, it does indeed feel like a missed opportunity because it's like, okay, if we had a plan B or just a different style of play to really capitalize on a team that's just, just completely out of form and is playing away from home, we had that, like, you know, more basically proactive style of play where we could really, really put them under pressure and really play some, like, yeah, attacking football, just more proactive football. I think a team like Inter right now in the in the form that they are in now would have probably capitulated under that type of pressure, playing away from home as well. So that that in that sense, it is definitely a missed opportunity. And yeah, we could have yeah, there's there's more in this game, definitely. Well, Chuck, you mentioned uh 
what was it essentially entertaining football uh oh, I, yes. I can yeah, I, yeah. I can safely say that the first half from juventus on saturday against lazio was not entertaining football or anything close to it really proactive football there we go yes yes yeah so i don't know watching this game i just I was I was thinking to myself, has Juventus sat any deeper <laughs> at any point this season than in this game? And Sergio, I will ask you, can you remember a time in which Juventus was this conservative uh, in any single game against uh, an opponent who, yeah, they, they're playing well and all that, but I felt like playing that deep basically played into Mauricio Sarri's hand where his team could just possess the hell out of the ball and then basically dictate the way the game's going. Yeah, for sure. I, I, I thought the first half was probably one of the one of the worst halves that, that Juventus has played in, in this calendar year, I think. It has to rank up there, probably, I don't know, top three, top five at worst, I think. It, it was just a complete, you know, a case in which one team was clearly doing everything that they wanted to do. And the other one had, you know, very little recourse to do anything to stop it. And that has been a sort of, semi-regular problem against Lazio's midfield. I think last season, every time they've played Lazio, I think, and I think last season was more, much more uh, noticeable that their midfield is just, you know, better than ours. And every time that, you know, they tried to build something, especially from the back, you know, that they just couldn't get everything going. What was remarkable to me was also in that first half, just how sloppy the, the, the game was for Juventus. Like, just no no feel for each other, no feel for, you know, passes going every other way, you know, even for players that you'd expect better, like an Angel Di Maria, like a Manuel Locatelli, like dudes that we've been singing their praises about how good they've been recently. They were doing exactly the same thing. You know, we, we've, you know, the, a guy that's come on their fight recently, Dusan Blaovic, you know, granted he gets very little service, but whenever he does, like he was just doing, you know, heavy touches, none, you know, not doing good hold-up work. Just, you know, wasting the very few chances that he got, you know, in general, the game was the, the team was just playing really, really sloppy, really, really rushed, which I don't, you know, it reminded me of that Verona game earlier, you know, I was going to say earlier, but I just thought that, you know, it's, it was about a week and a half ago because the calendar is freaking <laughs> nuts, but uh, it, it reminded me of that game because and I wrote about it in the graph bag it's like they look like that groggy moment that you know, you're waking up and like everything is just like sloppy, like you're not at your best, you're barely putting up, you know. That felt to me like Juventus in that day against Verona. And it felt to me again in that first half against Lazio. Just team that that you know was struggling to to get anything going. And and that was, you know, that was tough to tough to see. But that, you know, left me thinking, and obviously Twitter is is the best place to have some civilized debate, as we all know. Oh, clearly. But it, it, you know, a lot of people were just like, it's unbelievable, I can't believe this, like, it's disgraceful, it's shameful, whatever. It's like, who do we think this Juventus team is? <laughs> like, why are we expecting them to go into Rome against Lazio, a team that is currently second in the league table, that is playing really good football, like Gag said, that has legitimately talented players, and why are we expecting Juventus, a Juventus that has never been at any point in the last three years, a world beater team to go in and just, you know, destroy Lazio or dominate Lazio. Like, I think we have to understand one thing, and that is that this Juventus team is talented. This Juventus team has good players. It is not a perfect team. It is a team that is in the Europa League. It is a team that is, you know, not anywhere near challenging to title. You know, it's a team that is exactly at the level of a Lazio, of an Inter, of a Milan. It's a it's a team that is fighting for Europe. You know, deduction or no deduction, that is who they are. They're a team in that murky, you know, not quite contenders because Napoli is running away with it. But, you know, in that second tier of, of teams and, you know, they went there, they got dominated in the second half. They played much better in the, in the I'm sorry, they, they got dominated in the first half. They played much better in the second half. They, you know... Juan Cuadrado, you know, was pretty bad defensively. Uh, we don't have to get into it, but, you know, they, they could have maybe gotten a shot at, at evening it up. You know, it, it felt like an act encapsulation of who this team is. And that is a decent team that, that can have good moments, that can have good streaks, but that we shouldn't be shocked or even horrified 
that they lost against a pretty good Lazio team away, in which is traditionally a tough place to play. It, you know, it, it just, yeah, it, I just found it weird that we feel disappointed or horrified or, or super, you know, surprised that they're losing these games or that they're drawing these games or that are not winning every single game. Where I think at this point we have enough evidence to suggest that they, that you know, they are capable of winning these games, but they are not a sure bet at all, and that we should probably start to expect you know, to them to struggle against this type of type of teams. And you know, kudos to Lazio; they're a good team. They played well. They knew what they wanted to do, and you know, they beat us fair and square. I think they were the better team, and they deserved that win. You know. It, it is what it is. That's a that's a decent team over there in Rome. Kudos to Mauricio Sarri. That must have felt good for him. It, and it goes back to what Chucks was saying. It's like, why are we surprised that Juventus is playing this deep? I mean, yeah, I don't think any of us like it. I mean, I would be fine with Juventus trying to find some sort of, sort of happy medium where they're sound defensively, but also a little more ambitious and attack like they were in the final 20 minutes against Lazio. But I mean, let's face it. This is this is Max Allegri, folks. He wasn't there Saturday, but you know damn well he was the one who drew up the game plan for Saturday, and uh, Marco Landucci was just the one to go out and implement it. So when the CBS announcers are out and out coming and saying they are feeling sorry for Dusan Vlaovic because so many mm-hmm. of his touches, however, even though there are very few these days, so many of them are coming in both Juventus's half of the field and so close to Juventus's own penalty area because he has to drop so deep to even get involved. I mean, that says one thing about how your team is playing. I mean, Vlavic had, what, two headers towards goal? One of them was a little too high for him, and the other one he just knocked a foot or two over. So I feel like, <laughs> I, I mean, it's just, you know, Dusan Vlavic is the big money guy. He's going to get the heat. Just like Max Allegri is the manager, he's going to get a lot of the heat too. And it's like, man, you know, when... When Juventus are playing this conservative, what what is he supposed to do? I mean, he touched the ball 14 times in over an hour. It's like Juventus had, for most of the first half, they had like 30, 31% possession. No, nobody's going to do anything. I mean, look how they scored their goal. It was an ugly-ass goal off a corner kick that was saved and basically had to be smashed home on the third try by Adrian Rabio. Contract your Adrian Rabio. Shout out to that. But it's just... I know. It felt like Juventus went into this game wanting to ugly it up. They tried to ugly it up. Their goal was ugly. And then all of a sudden, it's like, oh, yeah, we've got 20 minutes left to try and get a point. And then that's when they found their sense of urgency. And with this team, it's always like, when is the sense of urgency going to arrive? And sometimes it's too late or they just can't can't get it done. Well, and I think the the frustrating thing, well, two things, but uh, one uh, frustrating thing is that we do have the capacity to play yes. genuinely attacking football, uh, which is more to say we have the resources to play really attacking football. Because, I mean, you know, look at the players we have. I mean, you got a World Cup, two World Cup winners, actually. Which one of them is not as good as the other. <laughs> but we have, uh, you know, Di Maria and, I mean, Chiesa as well, who's, you know, thankfully fit again. Vlaovic, obviously, I mean... You know, those are three extremely talented players and just attacking in an attacking sense. And again, yeah, we actually have a pretty good midfield again uh, with Fagioli, Locatelli, and contract here, Rabio. And if he ever returns, uh, Paul Pogba, yeah, remember him? Yeah, uh-huh. <laughs> um, We do have the resources to play genuinely attacking football. I mean, we choose just not to, which I don't know, is it good? Is it bad? I mean, I don't know. I go back and forth because. Again, technically on the pitch, we're technically the second best team in Italy. I mean, we would still, I think, be a point ahead of Lazio or, right. or um, level level terms. But or point I, I, I will add, I believe Juventus is on pace to, even with the 15 points coming back to Juventus, mm-hmm. Juventus would be on pace for less points than last season when, obviously, we know uh, Max Allegri's <laughs> success rate was a bit of an issue. Ah, yes, yes, yeah. Yeah, so that's, you know, yeah, that's indeed a, an important uh, consideration there. So, yeah, like I said, I mean, we have, you know, we have the talent to play really attacking football, but yeah, we choose not to. Um, and also, I mean, I think sometimes you just have to admit that you lost to the better team. <laughs> you know, I mean, Lazio were just generally, you know, better, better team than us. And 
obviously mistakes were made, you know, with Juve and, you know, we could have played way better and all that. But I mean, genuinely also have to admit that last year were just really good, you know, and, and, and I try to recognize that more when, you know, when Juve loses games and not just kind of hammer on the fact about, oh, we lost the game. We were bad in X, Y, Z of a manner. Sure, we were, but also try and like recognize more that, you know, the talent of the other team was, yeah, I mean, just generally better, <laughs> which I hate to admit because I don't really like Lazio, but, you know, yeah. <laughs> I mean, in addition to all the off the pitch stuff, but, you know, I don't know. I just never really, never really liked them. But, you know, again, yeah, I just uh, will admit that and, you know, move on. Oh, and actually, one more, one more thing I did want to add about this, the style of play. You know, the thing, I mean, I still don't really know how I feel about like how we, our style of play. Like, yeah, I mean, I would like us to be more proactive, play more proactively. But the thing is, counterattacking football in itself isn't necessarily good or bad. I think the problem about counterattacking football, about, you know, the whole low block and then, you know, hit him, hit him on a counter and hope for, you know, one or two opportunities to score is that you actually have to be good at the counterattacking part. Like, I feel like we're just good at the defending part, but like, you know, we, I mean, Okay, I think we're at different intervals. We're like we're more, we're very consistent in the defensive part. Like we're generally just game game after game. We're they're you know, they're more consistent defending than they are attacking. Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm trying to say. Yeah, yeah. Except for obviously that blip against Napoli, but fair enough. But yeah, I mean, generally, I think we defend just always very well. Like there's just a there's not a lot of variance in the our defensive performances. It's the attacking performances that has a lot more variance. Sometimes we're just, I mean not only just ridiculously efficient, but we just, you know, actually go for maybe two or three goals. And then they're just games against Inter and Lazio that where it's just that type of, yeah, the attacking consistency is obviously just not there. So I think that is the problem about this style of play is that if you're not consistent in that attacking sense, then it just starts to look like, I mean, god-awful football. (laughs) But if you have a day where you're really, you know, have like great attacking play and just are extremely efficient, then uh, it can be fantastic. I mean, great defensively and then boom, 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 you hit him and, you know, three or four passes, counterattacking goal. But it's just, yeah, it's with us, we're just too inconsistent in that, in that regard. Yeah, I, I, you know, 100%. I think we can move, move, move on to the, you know, Europa League preview talk that, that we discussed earlier. But, you know, just to build on, on Chuck's point, I agree 100%. I think, you know, sometimes we just get lost in the general, you know, description of more attacking or more proactive or more, you know, uh, beautiful football. But, you know, it really, I think whatever style of football you play, you know, the, the important thing is that you play it well and then you play with results. And, you know, this Juventus team has everything to be that, you know, we've seen it, like, like, I, like I was saying earlier, we've seen it on occasions on spurts, especially against Inter in both, you know, league ties in which they defended. They were a defensive team that, that you know, knew how to press effectively and to get on the break and, and was effective in, in counterattacking. And they won both both team, both matches. Uh, we've seen, you know, super defensive teams win the Champions League. Like, we've seen super offensively-minded teams win tournaments too, yes, but also be just a, a team that plays, you know, really good football, but, you know, can't really score, can't really win. Uh, you know, we, we saw it, you know, when, when they hired Maurizio Sarri and when they tried out uh, Andrea Pirlo, they, they both had modern, offensively minded, you know, quote unquote, proactive, beautiful football, and it didn't work. And, you know, I, I don't care that, you know, Max Allegri is a defensive coach, but you do, I, I do think there is an, an argument to be said and a criticism to be said that, like Chucks was saying, they're, for whatever reason, they can't consistently counterattack or they can't consistently generate chances and once you only get the the defensive part sorted you know you're not going to be able to hold a result every single time you're not going to be able to win every single game one nail for as much as you want to try it so it's it's just finding a style and and fine-tuning it and, and working on it until it can be effective whatever that style is and you know juventus for whatever reason you know, maybe a lot of recent injuries, a weird squad. Uh, you know, just just guys mentioned like a Paul Pogba, Federico Chiesa, like so many important dudes just missing time or not being able to start. A lot of reasons why they haven't been able to build that, but uh, it just, you know, it just feels that Juventus is a team and has been a team for a, for a while now that just doesn't really have a 
uh, an identity or a plan that they stick with for more than you know a season or so. So until they start to develop that, it's going to be hard to to judge them. Other than you know what we're talking about, this this spurts, this little streaks that they can get on and, and play good and have decent results. But you know, other than that, it's it's not amounting to a whole a whole bunch. And it's just ironic you say that after the game that we. We see Mauricio Sarri in year two having a squad that very much looks like a Mauricio Sarri squad. Yeah. I mean, look, look at look at the way Lazio played. I mean, it's for 60, 65 minutes. I mean, that's that's Sarrismo right there. I mean, their second goal is Sarrismo to the core. Yeah, it's amazing what you can do when you have a long-term plan. Right, Chelsea? Or a plan in, in general. Or, yeah. Right, Chelsea? <laughs> All right. Well, like Sergio said, we'll talk about the Europa League real quick before getting to a few Twitter questions. Uh, I guess the first question to you guys is, knowing that Juventus uh, had a uh, a less than stellar week entering the first leg against Sporting, and by the way, I, I meant to say this to Sergio at the beginning of the show, but look what happens when Matteo De Chiglio gets hurt again. Juventus doesn't get a win in the week. So there you go. <laughs> They, they they definitely miss him out there for sure. <laughs> but uh, again, it's a first leg in Turin. I mean, God, it feels like every first leg has been in Turin. But uh, yeah, true. Knowing that Sporting had a very good round of sixteen, uh, probably even better than Juventus. I, I I feel safe in saying that. Are we feeling any better than than we have knowing that Juventus is, you know, this international break seemed to uh, take away the mojo that Juventus had going into the international break. Yeah, I'm, I'm a lot more concerned right now than I was after that that Freiburg draw for sure, or after that they 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 were getting good results and they beat Inter in league play and all of that. Like I was feeling much more confident then. Now it's it's tough because Sporting is is like you said, it's a good team. Like they knocked out Arsenal, which who is I, I believe still leading the Premier League last time I checked. Uh, they're a good team and and they are a scrappy team and they look a lot. On paper and in the way they play, like uh, like a Porto or a Benfica, got you know teams that they like they have shown that they can very very easily beat beat Juventus recently. Like they're not going to be a rollover. I don't I don't think you know they didn't get the toughest draw possible, uh, but it was pretty damn close. Like there were a lot of much more manageable opposition out there. So it's going to be interesting to see how they they rise up again. You know, at, for the occasion, I think. You know, we were a little bit, because of the circumstances, like I, I don't think we gave Juventus their proper due in dispatching a team like Freiburg just because, you know, the red card and all of that, and which obviously played a huge role. But, you know, Freiburg was a really good team too. I mean, they just knocked out Bayern Munich in, in, in the German Cup. So they're a pretty decent team and Juventus made it look relatively easy. I know with the red card and everything, but they never looked like, you know, Freiburg was ready to pull off the opposite. Like they always looked in control. So... For whatever reason, and similar to what you were saying about Inter, Juve does seem like a cup team, like a team that can get up for big, big matches. And, you know, hopefully they, they can do that once again, because this is not going to be easy at all. Like, I'm not feeling super confident, but for whatever reason, so far in the Europa League, we've seen them have some of their best performances. So maybe they can get that that mojo back with a good win against Sporting and, and at home. Yeah, I mean, uh, as always, I'm cautiously optimistic. <laughs> I know that's uh, become my catchphrase now. Yeah, no, I mean, Sporting had a, a pretty exciting match uh, just today on Sunday. So we're recording on Sunday here. Just today against uh, Gajapia. Tried very hard to pronounce that correctly, but a 4-3 away victory. And this was the number eight in the in the league t- uh, standings. And Sporting are currently number four well out of the race for the title and struggling actually to get the you know Champions League spot. Um but yeah, four three victory. So that's uh, quite the roller coaster match. So that does give give me some optimism in terms of their defense being uh you know maybe not maybe maybe not perfect there. So yeah, I mean that's that's kind of I'm looking on a positive on that one. That's kind of my uh yeah <laughs> positive takeaway there. But that said this seems to also be like this game was kind of an anomaly because in the, you know, all the games in the three games prior, they conceded only one goal and that was against Arsenal. Sorry, four games prior, they conceded only one goal and that was against uh, the Arsenal. Um, so, uh, yeah, I mean, they're actually, it just looks like that one game was really just a blip because for the rest, they, um, 
actually are pretty defensively solid. But that might also be an indication that they, like you know, most other teams, are getting fatigued. You know, they played. Let's see, one, two, three games in nine days. Um, I mean, which you know, join the club. <laughs> um, but you know, they played. Uh, yeah, they played a lot of games in short amount of time, just like you know everybody else. So maybe you know that just that fatigue, just that tiredness is starting to set in, and that might have had something to do with uh, their uh, yeah uncharacteristic uh, defensive performance. So that that gives me some optimism there, and you know they're playing again. We're playing the first leg in uh, in Italy. So, I mean, that's going to be crucial in just getting the early advantage so that we don't have to go chasing a game in Portugal. Shall we go to some Twitter questions, gentlemen? Mm, yeah, let's, absolutely. Let's, let's, let's do it. <laughs> All right. First, uh... <laughs> first question here from a friend of the pod, Vincent Ferrar, at Juventino underscore BNA. Can we just go ahead and give Adrian Rabio the number 10 jersey now? <laughs> I think he's what second top scorer or something of the team. Or... He's joint top scorer in the league with Dusan. Really? He's got ten goals overall. Oh wow! Oh yeah. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow, remarkable. Gosh, what do you? What do you? Who would have thunk it? I mean, to, to answer the question seriously, in terms of well, shirt number, and then, I mean, I suppose what you're alluding to is well, un- contract. I, unless the current number ten leaves, I have a feeling. Uh... The only way Adrian Rabio wears number 10 the next few years is if he goes goes somewhere else. Oh, yeah. Yeah, true. Yeah. I heard he might be going to PSG or something, which, hell, ah, they're uh, Galacticos anyway. There you go. Give your midfielder a number 10. Why not? That's right. Yeah. I mean, again, taking a serious angle of the question in terms of, you know, his contract and all that. I mean, my position on that hasn't really changed, which is that, you know, I don't mind giving him a, I'd say a two-year contract extension. If, I mean, it's not like, if it's like seven, eight-ish, well, okay, he's on seven right now. So I guess eight-ish, eight and a half million a year. I think that would be, that's, I mean, to me, that's the maximum. That's the maximum I'm willing to, you know, pay him, which I if I'm in control of the finances. But I mean, the, the quoted figure of 10 million a year, yeah, I'm sorry, but no, that's not a, Price. Everybody has their price, and that that's just not a price. That, don't give Veronique any ideas, there, Chucks. Oh, she doesn't need anyone giving her even, ideas. On even though it. she's, you know, she's she's a loyal listener of this podcast, I'm sure. Hey, she better be following us on Twitter that's and right. Instagram and right. all our other channels. Yeah, but yeah, no, that's I mean, that's really the max. <laughs> I would I would want to hit. There's yeah, ten million. There's just no way. There's just no way. Yeah, I just you know I I just want to take a, a second to continue my year-long victory lap and uh, i told you adrian ravia was good take i've been harboring for like two years now because you know this is i I think this is the guy that everyone thought that we're getting you know four seasons ago and you know we i know the easy take here and the joke and i've I've written about it a bunch is oh it's contract year ravia like it's just because he's running out of a contract he's playing great and and you know he's He's finally, you know, being the guy that we thought that we were getting because he's going to get a new contract. And I know that's a cynical take, but in, in all honesty, like we all knew Rabio was this, like he was a box to box mauler. Like he was a guy that, that would make runs into the box and, and, you know, kind of just run for 90 minutes and harass the opposition and, and be that guy kind of like a sort of quasi, you know, Arturo Vidal, like who he was back, back in the day. We knew that's who he was, but, you know, unfortunately for him, you know, he got, you know, his first season was under Sarri, who, you know, never played him there. And then with Pirlo, who decided to play him in a double pivot with Rodrigo Bentancourt, of all people. And, you know, obviously he wasn't going to perform at that position because that just wasn't his game. Like, he wasn't good at that. But, you know, obviously this is kind of like his breakout season. But he was good since last year. I, I Last year I wrote like a bunch of times that like he was the best midfielder that the team had, which spoke just as much about Rabio that, you know, as about the general <laughs> level of our midfield. But he was, like, he was the best midfielder last season. And he's obviously the best midfielder this season as well. Like, once they decided to finally play him in that box-to-box midfield role, he finally became the guy that, you know, that that we all thought he could be. And now it's unfortunate because, you know, he's sort of giving us the the, you know, the polite indication of like, oh, we're not talking about it, but I love Italy. I would love to stay but right now. Like, you know, let's not talk about this. 
we know he's not staying. They're not paying him <laughs> 10 million euros. There's no way. And there's not, and they shouldn't. They should because he's really, really good box-to-box midfielder. But I don't think even the best box-to-box midfielders, you know, warrants that type of salary. I, I, I do think that, you know, it, it's the type of position that you can get sort of, you know, uh, adequate replacement level players at that position. So I, I don't think they're signing him. I think this is going to be, you know, his his goodbye season, which is a shame because he was always good. We just never put him in the right position up until the last couple of seasons. And I think he he delivered um, the last couple of years. So it's it's going to hopefully he leaves Italy a winner. Hopefully he leaves Italy with with another medal to his trophy case. But, you know, I, I don't see I don't see him coming back next year. With the Europa League medal, perhaps. Aha! Oh, that'd be sweet. That'd be great for everyone involved. Especially you, right, Sergio? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> well, I get a Rabio Europa League kit immediately. <laughs> Mark the tape, Couch. Sergio's getting a Rabio jersey if you may win the Europa League. 100% guarantee it. You All right. Perfect. All right. Well, Vin- Vincent actually has another question for you, specifically, Sergio, for, for Sergio more than anyone else. Would a Matteo Leo appearance made the difference against Lazio? Was he the quote-unquote X-factor we were missing? I'll tell you something. Juan Cuadrado played so bad that I kind of <laughs> I kind of missed the Silvio out there a little bit. Um, I thought he, he could have just given us exactly the same thing that Cuadrado gave us, maybe a little bit more. But no, I, I, I don't. I don't think so, obviously. But it is telling that, you know, considering how... You know, honestly, how poorly, you know, a guy like Cuadrado sometimes looks, you know, that maybe that's why the Sigo is getting so many minutes because, you know, we don't really have someone on the right that can consistently, you know, be that that present, that role. And that's why they have given, you know, Chiesa a shot there and everyone because they don't have that, you know, that costage on the right. Like they have costage on the left. They don't have someone on the right. And I know that we all thought Cuadrado was going to be it. But look, th- that guy, like... There's games where it looks like he still has it and it looks like he's still productive. Like in the Copa, I think he played well. He gets that goal, you know. He, he kind of sort of reminds you of Juan Colado of old, but sometimes you get a game like against Lazio in which the dude just doesn't have that burst anymore. Like he's not the same offensive player. And now that he's not the same offensive player, his defense suddenly starts to look really, really shaky for a guy that's just not bringing it on the offensive side. So... I still think he can sort of be a, a productive player if you manage his minutes right. If you if you get him, you know, in specific situations for the rest of the season, maybe he can still bring something to the table. But honestly, if we're if we're comparing him to Matias Silva, like I think that just speaks to to how bad sometimes he looks, not not really how good or how you know useful Matias Silva could could be. Yeah, I think that's one discussion we'll have at the. Uh end of the season kind of recap or in the off season about Cuadrado's future uh, with the club. I mean, yeah, he's, uh, he's not looking great and it might be that his time is kind of coming. So uh, yeah, I uh, look forward to that discussion. All right. Next question here from at Norman Bates 60. Why is Allegri so insistent on staying and playing this passive style of football when it's clearly been proven from the last 20 minutes of Saturday's match and many more like the Juve PSG match that we can play aggressive football as well and do it well. A lot of wells. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, yeah. As I almost exactly kind of uh, preempted that question, I guess uh, earlier with my comments. Um, yeah, I mean it is a mystery. Uh, I'm not really sure. And like you said, uh, we do have the capacity to play attacking football. Uh, we do have the resources and the technical ability and the skill to do so. I don't know. I think it's just, you know, once you're so used to playing one style of football, I guess it's just, or not even just that. I mean, once you're just so used to one thing, I think it just becomes almost like you can't even wrap your head around doing something a different way. Like I see, I see this a lot with people and just like in jobs and stuff, like just people I know and like, you know, professional and just friends and family and, you know, people I know through work and all that. And actually, one friend of mine specifically comes to mind who I've been telling him, like, dude, just quit your damn job. But anyway, long story. But yeah, I mean, there's just some people that really, I think, once they've been doing one, or in this case, Allegri with uh, B, 
being a coach of Juve and just his style of football. Once you're just playing or doing one thing, the same thing for so long, I think it just like there are some people that just cannot see a different way of doing something. Like it just does not even cross their realities, does not even cross their mind. And yeah, I don't know. I think that's a, just a deeper psychological thing, I guess. I mean, I'm an amateur psychologist, clearly, but yeah, I think Allegri is just one of those people. He just is so used to just doing something one way and it's just yeah that's just the way it is i guess unfortunately i think it's it's a shame yeah we we may be too deep in this week's pod to uh, do a deep uh psychological dive into max allegory's thought process but i think that last point is the right one is that he is very much just set in his ways and he doesn't want to doesn't want to change yeah yeah and you know to me i don't think it's reasonable you know i think in the question there's an example of like why can't we always play like the last 20 minutes you know because football real football is not a fifa game you know like you can't (laughs) just be 90 minutes pedal to the metal full throttle offensive football like that just doesn't work either like you know was sari bunkering down and you know playing defensive and trying to hold a one goal lead like we have criticized max so much for doing this season no, he wasn't. He was just reacting, you know, you know, one team needed a goal, the other team didn't. And obviously the, you know, the the weight of trying to get that goal is on that one team. Like that's just natural. I don't think, you know, sometimes we, we confuse, you know, just oh, why are we letting them do that? Well, because they're playing football too. Like they're trying to do something too. Like sometimes, yeah, when you're ahead, the other team wants to even the score, the other team wants to score, they're gonna go a little bit more offensive. They're gonna try to attack you more. And you know, it really depends on how you react. And, you know, I, I, I go back to, and I think I wrote about it in one of the previous graph packs, you know, when Napoli in that, you know, game when where Napoli trashed Juve, they go like similarly to this one, 2-1. Juventus goes all out to try to even the score out. They sit back a little and then they countered us to death. They countered Juve to death because, you know, they knew that Juventus had to be on the, you know, they had to be on the throttle. They had to be the aggressors. And they just played it perfectly, were completely lethal, and they beat us. Like, it's not about, you know, always being offensive or always being defensive. It's just being, you know, knowing what you have to do in that moment of the game and taking advantage of it. And, you know, a team like Napoli showed it perfectly. Lazio was doing it pretty well, too. Like, they they gave the initiative to Juventus, and they were being dangerous in the counter. If you try to play like that for 90 minutes, they're going to hit one of those counters 100%, I assure you. And you're going to allow a goal. And then we're going to be talking about, you know, here about how Juventus is bad defensively and we're leaking goals. And, you know, sometimes, you know, you have to be defensively. Sometimes you have to be offense. You can't be 90 minutes of it. You just can't. Either way, one way or the other, I don't think it's it's reasonable to suggest something something like that, in my opinion. And I think sometimes we're a little bit too harsh on on, on Max Leg and Juventus for that. When, you know, we've seen teams, like I just said, like, I don't think Sarri is a defensive coach. They got out, you know, overrun in that second half or most of that second half. It's just because the other team decided they needed to go on the offense a little bit. Like, it happens too. I, I think, you know, we, we need to be maybe a little bit more specific about what we want to see out of this club and not just, well, we want them to be more offensive. Like, why don't you play always like this? Well, because it's not reasonable. Because these dudes are playing every four games and they're tired. And if they're going balls to the wall for 90 minutes, you know, it's just not a reasonable thing to ask of them. So, you know, it's it's this is an imperfect team, and I think we need to start seeing it like that, like an imperfect team, and and then take it, they take that from the baseline and then just build from that. Yeah, I appreciate that uh parallel actually with um that comparison to Napoli, the Napoli game, because I think that's an example of just, or just that specific, I'd say the second half of that 5-1 game. That is a great example of, of what happens when you're counterattacking to team, you're good defensively and offensively. Um, it, it can be really great football. Um, you know, so it's like, we, we can be that. Uh, we can be that, but yeah, it's just... Uh, Again, that's just a great example of, uh, and and that's just that specific phase of the game. I mean, in general, I think you know Napoli are just very, you know, they're not counterattacking per se; they're very proactive. But in that phase of the game, that second half, which uh, to your point is, you know, being able to have 
And I guess to my point as well, to be able to have a plan A and a plan B and to manage that within a game. You know, okay, sometimes you play within a game, you can play maybe just counterattacking and then maybe a second half or something or a different phase of the game, you can play, you know, Samba football, I guess. But having that ability to play different styles of play within the game and across games, I think that really is the mark of like a truly, truly world-class team. Yeah, absolutely. Which Napoli is. Napoli is a really, really good team, and I don't think we're anywhere near to their level. Like, they're just a really, really well-built, well-coached team. And, you know, kudos to them. Like, I think, like like you said, Chuck, like, it's just a perfect example of a team that that knows what to do in every phase of the game. Like, when they need to be on the offensive, like, they know exactly what they need to do. And when they need to sit back and defend, they know exactly what to do. And I think that's, you know, that's that's a complete team. Yeah, and I, I remember we were sitting here, you know, basically midway through the season with Saudi, and it's like, okay, maybe year two things are a little better. Well, the two teams that we've just been mentioning and kind of comparing to Juventus, year two with Saudi at, at Lazio, year two with Spalletti at Napoli, and year two at Max with Max Legri at Juventus. <laughs> Uh, one of those things is not like the other. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. Anyways, thank you all for the Twitter questions. We always appreciate them. You can send them to us at Eventus Nation on the Twitter machine. You can follow the new podcast network, Fans First Sports Network, at Fans First SN on Twitter. Uh, they have also recently launched a Facebook page. You can also follow our Facebook page and Instagram, search Black and White and Red All Over. You can follow us. On your favorite podcasting platform, whether it is Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Google Podcasts, if you do listen on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, feel free to give us a nice five-star rating and review. Like, subscribe, subscribe again, unlike, all that stuff. L, walk into an Apple store and put our podcast up on every single iPhone that's out on display. Sorry, I stole that idea from another podcast. I'll fully admit that right now. Hey, man. <laughs> that is. That's what's up. That's all right. That's right. Doing what we can. Get the word out. So, I digress. <laughs> for Sam, who should be back next week, for Chucks, for Sergio, for Producer Couch, for co-host Domino, who is hanging out behind me, and as Chucks and Sergio probably saw in the Zoom window here, this is Danny saying thank you very much for listening, and we'll talk to you guys next week. <laughs> <laughs>